0: And this is going to be our last time to, to stop at Nehemiah. <clears throat> but just to kind of catch everybody up, in the year 538 B.C., uh, the prophet Daniel was reading a scroll, and he saw on that scroll that the people of Israel were supposed to be in captivity for 70 years. And over that period of time, God would deal in their heart to get to them to the place that they would finally cry out to God. <clears throat> and then Bill shared... Uh, some of the things that were in his heart as he prayed. So I think the the teaching there is, is very simple. It starts in Jeremiah 29, where, where everybody's thinking God's going to bring this great revival and everybody's going to be set free. God says, no way, buddy. <laughs> I'm going to send you down into captivity for 70 years because you're not desperate enough. And after you've been there 70 years, you will seek me and then you will find me when you seek for me with all your heart, I think we live in a generation or in a in a culture that's wealthy, uh, full of pleasure, and it's very easy for us to be complacent. Um, we're getting ready to do our three day fast next week, and it's it's always interesting to me as we come to the fast how many people have been in the church for x number of years and they're like so so how do you fast? Uh, I think if we understood the situation, we would be desperately fasting. Uh, we have a weekly fast uh, on Wednesdays, and uh, and the fact that we come to the three-day fast and people are like, "How do we do it?" I just wonder how desperate we are. People are dying and going to hell. <clears throat> Somebody will get shot today in Louisville. Um, babies will be aborted all over America. People are confused about their gender. Um, there's tough things going on, but we're kind of we're padded, you know. We got we got our meal ticket, you know. You can eat all you want over there at the at the cafeteria, you know. Gain that 15 freshman pounds. Uh, we've, you know, we keep adding new fast food places here in uh, Nicholasville. Uh, Christmas is coming. Our biggest concern is that the trucks are not going to be traveling, so we can't buy the gifts, but we've always got Amazon.com. You know, it's uh, a, it's a, I don't have, yeah. (laughs) Hey Siri, order me those, uh, those things that I like from (laughs) Amazon.com.
1: I found this on the web for order me those, those things that I like from Amazon.com.
0: Check it out. <laughs> Have you all ever played with it? She's funny. I, I, I like this one. Hey, Siri, will you marry me? <laughs> it says, I think you should save yourself for someone who's more of the actual human being type. <laughs> Do it. Just, just think of questions and ask her. Uh, oh, here, here, oh, look at this. What's this? Hey, Siri, when did Israel return from Babylon? Hey, Siri, when did Israel return from Babylon? 538 B.C. Man, if we don't study the Bible today, you know, we'll have to we'll have to talk to God about that when we get there. But the point is, the situation, we're we're buffered from it. We're padded from it. God continually blesses his people. This is the story over and over with Israel. And so they got to the place that that they were desperate. They had been in captivity for 70 years, and they began to cry out, oh God. That's how this whole thing gets started. And they go back to Israel to build the temple. But you have to remember that the temple is one thing. It's just one thing. It is the place you meet with God. Finally, they got tired of supersizing uh, their number two meal. And they said, rather than have a supersized number two meal, I want God. Rather than have uh, that, that spring break trip to South Florida, I want God. Rather than that new addition on the house, I want God. They got to that place. But there's always the next thing for us, and our life stays so full that we don't get to this desperate place where we want to really meet with God. And so when we talk about rebuilding the house of God, we think in terms of, first of all, Christ... All the Old Testament teaching on temple leads to Christ. And he says, I'm the temple, you know. Destroy me, and in three days, I'll build it up. So Christ is the place where we meet with God. But it goes beyond that. And Christ said, not only am I the place where you will meet with God, but guess what? I'm going to take you, and I'm going to build you into a tabernacle. And this is going to be the place that God meets with his people. Pretty amazing. And so they went back and they rebuilt the temple. They really did want to meet with God. But there was another thing. Not only did they need to meet with God, but they needed to begin to live their lives as though they knew God. (laughs) And they knew God as Father. And they were allowing Father to train them. So Ezra comes and they restore the Word of God. So now they have this place of meeting with God. And they have this place of, of... recreating a culture that walks in love and not sin. The opposite of sin is love. Sin is the opposite of love. Everything the Bible calls sin is unloving. And everything the Bible calls righteousness, it's right. It's the way it's supposed to be. It's me being who I am supposed to be for you. That's love. That's the opposite of sin. So they've come back. They built a place. Now they're meeting with God. And now, several years later, several decades later, they've got the word of God and they're reshaping their culture, not according to what they think, but according to what the word of God says. But still, something's going on. Everybody around them does not like the fact that they've built the house of God and they're afraid of what's going to happen. And so they come under attack. And Nehemiah hears about it, and the first chapter of Nehemiah, basically what happens is is Nehemiah says, Oh, they've been building the house over there for years. They're trying to reestablish, but the the nations around them are attacking them and, and keeping them from building. And so Nehemiah gets it in his heart to go and build the house of God. And so that's what this book is about, or to build the wall and set the gates around the culture of God. Okay, the people of God, the city that results out of fellowship with God and walking in His Word. So that's what we're talking about. We're talking about the wall that we put around our lives individually and the life of the church so that the church is not destroyed by everything outside of it. So just as, as we're, we're looking through this this morning, I want you to encourage, uh, to encourage you to think about a wall Wall basically does one of two things. It either keeps things in or it keeps things out. Here, it's intended to keep the enemies out. And so, when we talk through the principles that we're going to talk through out of Nehemiah chapter 4, I want you to keep three enemies of your soul in mind. All right, first of all, would be the devil. You know, your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, roams about seeking what? Whom he may devour. He wants to devour you. The second thing, though, that is an enemy to our soul is the zeitgeist, uh, the the ghost of the world, the the world, uh, the spirit of the world, the culture that's around you. The culture that we live in, it's like soup. And if we swim in it too long, we just become mingled and we take on the flavor of that soup. So all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, The boastful pride of life is not of God, but it's of this world. And this world and the lust thereof pass away. But he that does the word of the Lord, what, endures forever. So when we allow culture to shape us rather than us to shape culture, it's an enemy to our soul. And the last thing, and and I want to say this theologically correct, that is an enemy to our soul I would say the vestige of sin in our life, okay? The vestige of sin in our life. When we are saved, when we are born again, uh, we are a new creature. We're not improved. We're not made better. We are an absolutely new creation. If anybody be in Christ, if a man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new This is all preview to chapter 4. Just stick with it. Let me take a breath. All right. Uh, All things are made new. Uh, Don't you know that as many of you as have been baptized in his death have also been raised in likeness of his resurrection? So we're new. We're a new creation. But if you follow the story of Romans, it says we've been delivered if we walk by the Spirit But then by chapter 12, it says this. So I beseech you, therefore, brethren. I beseech you by the mercies of God that you present yourselves a living sacrifice. Now, you remember the sacrifices were spotless. Present your life as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. I love that chapter because it says, look, you were trained in the world. You've been delivered. You can be led by the Spirit, but your mind really doesn't comprehend it. So study the Word of God and actually what goes on. Does everybody know what goes on in the rest of chapter 12? He talks about love. He talks about you living the life that you're supposed to live above all things loving the brethren. So the enemy of our soul The thing that we need to keep out would be the culture, it would be the vestige of sin, or it would be the devil himself. So we need to build a wall. Yes, you are the house of God. Yes, you are being conformed and learning the word and beginning to live like a Christian. But Satan doesn't like it. The culture, shaped and formed by the prince of this world, doesn't like it. And you got a lot to learn about it. And so we have to build a wall against the old thoughts, against the world, and against, against the devil. Yeah? So you with me? So we need to build a wall. And, and we're going we're to sort of see some of the dynamics as we walk through chapter 4 today. Let me... <clears throat> Just so you have it in mind, I think I'll talk about culture a little bit. So if, there's a lot of things that make up the American culture. Let me mention three things. Uh, the first would be materialism. Materialism is a philosophy that, that uh, understands existence in terms of material. Stuff you can touch, see, taste, and nothing else. So, materialism as a philosophy says there's no metaphysical world, there's only the physical material world. That's a philosophy. That way of thinking became prevalent in the 19th century. And so, what's going to happen if a culture begins to think, you know, it's just what we see is all there is? What's going to be important? What you see. One of the reasons that America is so materialistic, and materialism in the sense of a moral definition, is this. Believing that material possessions are more important than spiritual values. Now, there's a lot of people who would say, more important to me are my spiritual values. But but what do we spend our time doing? Do we spend hours upon hours Cultivating our spiritual life? Or do we spend more time waxing our antique cars? I've been waiting to use that one, Roger. I and I, I'm looking this way, so it's like you gotta think to get it, you know I'm kidding, right? Uh, fishing. Reading literature. playing video games I just have to look at the different people (laughs) oh yeah Matthew's a video he's a gamer but seriously do we give more attention to our material possessions or do we really cultivate so one of the things in our culture you know how many of you have seen that commercial on TV it comes on and it's got this person they're uh, I, I think it's like a, an outside church, you know, a cathedral outside. It's got a beautiful cross, sun shining down, and, 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 and they're bowed on one knee, and uh, they're dressed in this, like, I don't know, it's, it's almost athletic, but it's almost businesslike, and it's this new line of clothing, and, and, and it says, when you want to sense the presence of God... Our clothing gets you there. Have you all seen that one? Doesn't exist. Doesn't exist. That's why you haven't seen it. Spirituality doesn't sell. People who know what makes you tick, they don't promise you a closer walk with God if you eat their hamburger. They don't promise you deeper revelation if you take their course about God. You see what I'm saying? The culture knows you. The culture knows what makes you tick. Broadway, Fifth Avenue, they know what the American culture wants and they market to it. And so when we talk about culture, think about materialism. We need to build a wall against advertising that would want us to throw our time into vacations and and, and trips on cruise boats and things like that. And instead, Mike, quit taking notes and pay attention to what I'm saying. <laughs> did you hear that? Did You, you, you didn't even get it, man. I did get it. Okay, all right. Yeah. You're like Brenda. You know, She's learned. So when we talk about culture and the wall, we really have to guard ourselves from that kind of advertising. But the second thing is the understanding of man, anthropology. What is man? And by that I mean at the very basic understanding of what man is. Uh, Last night I said God made Adam and Eve, not Adam and Steve. And somebody said, oh, you shouldn't do that. That's too. So I'm not going to do that this morning. But the point is uh, God created man in his own image. Male and female created he them. That's such basic theology that the image of God is a man and a woman. And you can spend weeks understanding throughout the Bible how, how the way men and women relate to each other and the fruit that comes from that to understand God. And it doesn't take a genius to figure out that one of the things that Satan would like to do is to mar the image of God, to confuse the very image that God put in the earth for us to be able to understand him. He brings that image full circle in the New Testament. Because what happens? We become, what? The bride of Christ. We are spoken of in the feminine. Christ is spoken of in the masculine. And marriage and male and female, all through the centuries, is only one thing. It's preparing us to understand what our relationship to Jesus is supposed to be. And so our culture has just chewed that up like a T-bone steak and made it into hamburger. And so we have to really stand against that because Satan doesn't come and change things all at once. It's, he gets into the culture and that erodes the foundation and part of the wall begins to fall. As that falls, it exposes more foundation and it falls. And so where we are today began... You know, well, I I think it began. Well, began in the Garden of Eden. I'm 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 spending too much time getting us ready to look at Nehemiah four, but but I want to make sure we're ready. So, so at least those two things: materialism, um, uh, uh, the 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 nature of man in anthropology, uh, but also the nature of man in this way. More and more. The world is believing that man is basically good. Come on, everybody, get together. Got to love one another right now. All you need is love. You know, it's only people over fifty that are smiling. That's a song. It was, it was a song. Uh, and the world is, has this great effort to bring everything into unity. Right? All of the 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 um, the current. You know, you got to accept every. You know, every color of the gender rainbow. Yeah, you, you, you've got to make sure every, uh, you know, every race is included. You've got to... All this stuff they're trying to do, except for one thing. And it's, I mean, it's bonafiable. Christianity as a religion does not have to be included in the bouquet. Now, I, I tell people all the time, I'm really happy we don't have any black people in the Lexington Church. And the reason I say that is because I'm happy we don't have black people. I'm happy we don't have brown people. I'm happy we don't have white people. Now, there's some people whose ancestry goes back to Africa and they've got dark pigment in our Lexington Church. And there's some people without as much pigment who came from England in our church, but we don't have black and white people in our church. We don't have uh, brown people in our church. We don't have Asians in our church. We have some people from Vietnam and uh, Japan. Uh, the Lexington Church is pretty, you know, they, it's, if you looked at it, it's got different colors out there. But I don't think in those terms. Jesus didn't think in those terms. He saw people. But right now, the world thinks that they can, in some way, create this unity by all... All we really need is to give our life to Jesus, and then there's neither Jew nor Greek. There's neither male nor female. Unity is only going to come in Jesus... But Jesus is the one thing that the world can't handle, and so you got to be careful. You got to be careful of putting your faith in those movements that want to try to get us to be racially reconciled, or uh, to be uh, for nations to be reconciled outside of Jesus. Now, I'm all for participating in in social organizations and and and. and Expressing our love by being with people. Just don't put your faith there. Put up a wall. Always remember the only thing that will unify people is the kingdom of God. Read a little bit of world history and you will figure that out. Look at the history of Yugoslavia. It's a country that used to exist. And you will see where trying to unify outside of Jesus Christ ends up. It no longer exists. There are three countries there now. It's war-torn, and, and you know, over the last ten years, they've been rebuilding. So those three things when we talk about culture. Don't stand against it. Don't let it grab you and take your life. Don't think that you have to accept a false view of man. Don't think that man apart from God can be unified and walk in peace. And really, I think the strongest one that would get you would be this. Don't think you need more stuff. (laughs) You need more Jesus. So we're building walls. We're building walls to protect the church from that. So we can bring world peace, (laughs) you know, with the Prince of Peace. Uh, So we can meet the needs. So we can take the wealth of the nation and meet the needs of the widows and the orphans. And so we can live lives as men and women and the joy of church family as it was meant to be. It's a good kingdom we have here. And we can't let the culture or the devil or our own sinfulness destroy it. So, all right, that's kind of some background stuff. Can I get an amen? amen? Are we together? All right. Now... Another little bit of background stuff. So our movement is a church planting movement. When we get up to 150, we plant another church. This church is planted out of the first church in Lexington. Uh, There are two other churches that we planted. And here's the idea. We make disciples. We find people who are captured in the world. We help them find Jesus. And then we help them learn how to build the house of God together... And then they find people that are burnt stones. They find people who uh, have either left the church or they were never Christians. We disciple them. We help them learn to disciple other people to bring them into this relationship of life in Jesus Christ. And then you grow. And then you take a few of you and you send you somewhere else in the county. And you build another church. That's what we do. This church, this church is in a unique place. Uh, It has been stalled a little while, uh, but that doesn't bother me. Uh, The first church was stalled for about 15 years, and now they've planted three other churches, and they have a mission in Mexico. So being stalled does not bother me in the least. Uh, But when you get in that place, you've got to stop, and you've got to say, so where are we? What do we need to do? So I think Coming to Nehemiah today in chapter 4 is just amazing for us. So it's amazing for us as a church, but if this is not your church and you're just visiting, this will be amazing for you. If you will get this in your heart, it will become a skill set that you will use for the rest of your life to build a wall around your life to protect yourself from the culture, to protect yourself from Satan, and to protect yourself from your own stupidity that you learned before you came to Christ, okay? So let's go ahead and start, chapter 4. I want to go ahead and just, Andrew, we pass these down. I'll let you start here. And Bill, you want to start in the back? So what I did is I went through chapter 4, and the parts that talk about the attack are not underlined. Uh, the part that's talked about um, uh, just how we respond to that attack, attack is underlined. So it's going to be a very, very straightforward walk through this chapter. Okay. So it's Nehemiah chapter 4. And um, we'll start at the very beginning. We'll go all the way to the end. I've divided it up so that there's about 21 different principles or 21 different points that you can stop and look at. Okay. Okay. And, uh, Bill, how long have you been a pastor? About 40 years. Well, that's about the slowest I've ever seen anybody get those notes passed out. (laughs) Uh, Sorry, Bill. Does anybody know what Nehemiah means? If, If Ken was here, he would tell us. What does Nehemiah mean? Hey, Ken, what does Nehemiah mean? I don't know. That's right. Nehemiah means I don't know. And so, Nehemiah means God will comfort. God will comfort. Nehemiah is in Babylon. He hears that the church is being attacked That the the people of God are being attacked. And it just grips his heart. He cries out with fasting and he says, The church needs help. I am going to go and build a wall around the church. That is the message of Nehemiah God will comfort. When your life is being destroyed by the devil, when it's being destroyed by your own sin, when it's being destroyed by the culture creeping in, God wants to come in and comfort you. He wants to deliver you from the devil, deliver you from the culture, deliver you from your sin, and set a wall around you to protect you. That is the story of the whole book. And so let's read it. But it came to pass that when Sanballat heard that we builded the wall... He was wroth and took great indignation and mocked the Jews. I like, I like King James. I like some of these words. He was wroth. <laughs> um, means angry. If you're reading ESV, it says angry. Why was he angry? They were building a wall. He was losing his access to the people of God. He could no longer control them through fear and, and, and theft and intimidation. And he was like, wait a minute. I do not want a wall built around Michael's life. I want to be able to come and go as I please. Now, we're not going to talk about the gates, but you build a wall, an absolute wall, to keep the world, the devil, the devil, and send out of the church, out of your life. But then you have gates. One day we'll come back and we'll talk about gates. Gates are for egress and regress. It's for coming and going. It's guarded, and it chooses what comes in, and it determines what goes out. And that's a whole other teaching. But today we're just going to concentrate on the wall. You can't get in if there's a walled city. Satan cannot get into your life, the culture cannot get into your life, if you take the time to build the wall. Amen. And when Sanballat heard that we were building the wall, he was angry and greatly enraged, and he mocked the Jews, or he made fun of them. Huh. Who are you? Who are you to set yourself up as the place where God meets with people? I know you. I saw what you did last year. I know your fear. (laughs) You people want to build a church that reaches a city. (laughs) You want to use your life to glorify... Yeah, right, you're going to glorify God. (laughs) And he spake before his brethren and the army of... Hey guys, look at this little guy. He thinks he's going to do something for God. What do these feeble Jews? Do they think they're going to be able to build a wall that can keep us out? Do they think they're going to get together and worship and honor God, sacrifice? Will they make an end in a day they're going to be working for the same. You know when they die it's still, you know, there won't be much more than the foundation. Will they revive the stones out of the heaps of the rubbish which are burned? The house of God then can the house of God be built out of these people that have been burned? Anybody here ever been burned? Anybody ever burned out? Anybody ever backed out, backslidden? Anybody ever done just some really stupid things and you think it disqualifies you? God rejoices in building his house out of burnt stones. Over and over, the Bible talks about how there's not many wise, you know? There's not many strong. God does not use the wise of this world. He uses the foolish things of the world to what? Confound the wise. One of my favorite stories is over in Luke. I wrote the reference down in chapter 7. Here's the verse, verse 47. Therefore I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven. For she loved much, but he who is forgiven little loves little. The church of God is built of people. It's built of burnt stones. People who have sinned a lot. And they love Jesus so much more because of that. People who have, people who have given them their lives fully to something. It's fallen apart and they're in despair. God gathers all those burnt stones. And then he goes to the people that aren't burnt, and he finds the ones that aren't all that wise. Because he says, I want to father a people. I don't need their goodness. I just need to love them, and they just need to love me, and that is how we'll build the house of God. First um, 1 Corinthians one twenty six is that verse that talks about not many wise not many mobile, uh, noble, not many powerful. That's not to say that there aren't some amazing people, according to the flesh, in the kingdom of God. I don't want to leave, uh, there's a couple of you out there that, that would be amazing. The rest of us are burnt stones. I don't want to leave you amazing people out. Um, and Tyler, quit smiling. I'm not talking about you. <laughs> um, uh, you got to get this in your head. You got to get it in your head. This is one of the problems. This is part of the culture. The culture in America teaches you that really smart people with lots of money can really do things. The Bible tells us really poor people who are humble and dependent on God that's the place the house of God will be built. And we get this backward all the time in the church. And we're always looking for the guy to drive up that's not going to leave an oil spot on the, on the parking lot. And anyway, when we first got started, it was so funny. We, we rented a storefront after we'd been there about three months. It was just like an oil slick, you know. We all had old cars, and they leaked and stuff. Who, who are these people? It's a bunch of burnt stones. Keep going. Now Tobiah the Ammonite was by him and he said, Man, even if they build it, if a fox goes on it, it'll fall down. You might do something, you might start a little church, but it's not going to really do anything. It'll you know, it'll fall apart. And so then we come the other way. That's that's some of the ways that Satan will come against you personally in your life. You're foolish. Uh, you know, you've been burned by life. You're never going to amount to anything. Anything you do will fall apart, and it's going to take you forever. Just don't even try. Now, Tobiah the Ammonite was by him, and he said, even that which they build, if a fox go up, he shall even break down their stone wall. Hear, O our God, for we are despised. And turn their reproach upon their own head and give them for a prey in the land of captivity. And cover not their iniquity and let not their sin be blotted out from before thee. For they have provoked thee to anger before the builders. So they cry out and they say, Hear, O God. So all of these principles about how you build the wall, they come back to Jesus. Okay? The Bible says that we have access to the Father through Jesus Christ. Uh, I believe it's at the end of 1 John. It says that we have boldness of access through our faith. I trust that I can come to God because of what Jesus did. God hears me when I pray. God hears you when you pray. Hear, O God, and you have the right to come into God's presence. It's like all-out boldness. You can come to God. All right, God, here I am. I am redeemed by Jesus. I'm despised. But God, the world looks on who I am as a Christian. And even they look at my abilities and they look at my desire to see success in the kingdom And they're like, God, show them the truth. Show them the way it really is. God, do something here that confounds them. Turn it back on them. God, take the rug out from underneath them. And don't cover their iniquity. Father, take away the blessing that's on them. The Bible says that it rains on the just and the unjust. But there are times that God comes in judgment against those who would hold His people in derision. And Lord, give them what they deserve. Because, listen to this, they have provoked, they have provoked you, God, to anger as we're trying to build. You, know, you have a life. God has ordained that you would have a place in the earth And that you would take dominion and you would live your life in a certain way. The culture does not like what God has called you to do. Satan does not like what God has called you to do because it takes away from them. And so they mock you. But you ask God to glorify himself in your life. Now listen, you got to get past this. I'm going to try to run under the radar you have got to come to the place of faith that you say, God, turn it back on them. God, let the thing Jessamine County is known about is the presence of the people of God. Lord, quit letting meth and sex and, and, and personal political power and money be the thing that everybody's pursuing. And Lord, raise up, raise up your people in this place, and get yourself honored, Hear, O oh God, and bring them back into captivity. And God is angry. God is angry when you're trying to build your life and the rest of the world is working against you. Just like, just like people got more and more prepared to seek God, God's anger builds up against a culture that oppresses his people. So we built the wall, and all the wall was joined together unto the half thereof, for the people had a mind to work. Building the wall is work. It doesn't just happen. It's not, uh, it's not a promise. It's an opportunity. If you do not build the wall, the foxes will come in. If you do not build the wall around your house, culture will seep in. And so here it says that it was joined together. One of the things you're going to find out about this particular wall, it's talking about around a city or around a culture a people. Each person, now listen real close on this one, each person has a part to play. As you go through how they built the wall in uh, in the next chapter, and the previous chapter, it each person is designated to a certain place on the wall. In other words, they have their thing they've got to do, and as everybody does their thing, finally the wall comes together. the The scripture talks, I believe it's in a, in Eli, um, uh, Ezekiel, how he looked to find someone to stand in the gap, and he couldn't. Gaps are left when people don't do their part for their own life. Each person is a crucial member. And so when we dump out, when we get fearful, when we give up the battle, we leave a hole and and praise God, he's gracious and merciful and and others can fill in, but it's our place to be a part in the wall that protects the culture. And so you'll you'll see the corporality of this as we walk through. So we built the wall. And it was finally joined together. A lot of times you don't see your work or your life as being very significant until it connects with somebody else. And it connects with somebody else. And all of of a sudden you see the work that God was doing in you. God was doing a work in you that completed the work he was doing in somebody else. This is the way, this is the way the body is built. One of our theme verses is Ephesians 4.16. God builds, everything is jointly knit together and compacted by what each person supplies according to the effectual working of the Spirit in each part, building itself up in love, coming to full maturity. And so here what you see is they're working, and you know it's like you're working and there's a hole there and there's a hole there, and you're like... You know this. this just well, but all of a sudden, you see another wall coming towards you, and then you realize that God has joined you together with many others, and and, and the wall is complete because everybody's given themselves. So um, they had a mind to work. Oh man, let me just go through these real quick now. Um, verse seven, when Sandballot and Tobiah again, this was not underlined. So this is an understanding of how Satan and the culture uh, and, and sinfulness will exalt itself against your life. But it came to pass that when Sanballat and Tobiah and the Arabians and the Ammonites and the Ashdodites heard that the walls of Jerusalem were made up and that the breaches began to be stopped, then they were very wroth and conspired all of them together to come and to fight against Jerusalem and to hinder it. So I, I like this. And you've got got to understand this and and pay close attention. So so I'm trying to move these into New Testament principles. In the natural, when Sanballat comes and he finds they're getting the wall finished, he's like, I'm going to go get some buddies to help me. It's It's a spiritual principle. If we cast demons out of a person, if they don't fill it, with the Holy Spirit, what happens? What do they do? They They go get their buddies and come back. Seven times worse, it says. And so when Satan sees the work of God and he can't defeat you, then you will find other things going wrong in your life. Now, listen real close. This will happen to you someday. And you just remember, when you're in a battle... And you feel like you're getting a victory. There will be a day when not long after a victory, all hell breaks loose. You will get in a place, boy, boy, I'm glad I got through that. And then all of a sudden, ten times worse. Just know what's going on. Satan is mad. He is angry that you had that victory. It's a very real thing. The New Testament talks about how how Satan increases in intensity if he thinks you're getting a victory. And so just remember that. Your life will follow this pattern at some point. Either you will be dealing with personal sin or your life will begin to, to... You will be tempted so much by the world and you'll get tired of just living this Christian life and you'll want to get involved, or you'll feel actual satanic attack, and you'll do whatever you need to do to get through it. It ain't over. It ain't over. If it comes back, and it comes back stronger, understand what went on here. They were being victorious, and because of the victory, the battle got worse. All right? Um... Where were we? Oh man, we've only got about ten minutes. We're going to have to just read through these. All right. So, nevertheless, and this is what you do. And most people, a lot of people, they despair. Everybody's just kind of looking at me like this is an intellectual exercise. Is there anybody besides me who have ever had a battle? You win the battle, and you think, "I'm glad that's over." And then it gets worse. It gets worse. All right, good. Oh, well, not good, but I mean. uh, Nevertheless, and here's what happens. A lot of people lose the battle in the second round. They get discouraged when the battle comes back. But the Bible says, be not weary in well-doing, for in due season we will reap if we faint not. We thought we'd win the battle. They got mad. They came back. And nevertheless, we kept building. We kept going. We made our prayer to God. And we became more intense. So you've got to learn in times when there's there's great oppression or attack on your life. You have got to learn to increase the spiritual warfare. Amen. This is a very real thing. And if you don't do it, you will lose the battle. But look at the things they do. They uh, made a prayer to God. And then the strength of the bearers of burdens is decayed. And there's much rubbish so that we are not able to build the wall. They recognized that, that they were just covered up with too much rubbish. Our adversary said, They shall not know, neither shall they see, till we come in the midst among them and slay them and cause the work to cease." In other words, their life is so filled with, with confusion and rubbish, the enemy says, I can get in the middle of all that and pop out and get them. And this happens. When we let our life get too full of, of, of too many distractions... Out of those distractions, we get an attack on our life. And it came to pass, verse 12, when the Jews which dwelt by them came, they said to us ten times, listen, wherever you return to us, whatever you're trying to do, they're going to be on you. They are going to try to get you from every direction. Therefore, I set in the lower places behind the wall and on the higher places. I even set the people after their families with their swords, their spears, and their bows. So I increased our protection. I gave myself more fully to this spiritual warfare, this this fight. As I'm trying to build my life, as we're trying to build a church, when attack comes, we have to refocus, and we have to build the wall. Verse 15, And when it came to pass, our enemies heard. It was known unto us, and God had brought their counsel to naught. We returned all of us to the wall, every one unto his work. So they stopped, and they dealt with the attack. They brought everything to bear upon it. And when the enemy was defeated or discouraged, they went back and they began to build. 15, and it came to pass, well, verse 16, point number 15, and it came to pass from that time forth that the half of my servants wrought in the work and the other half of them held both the spears, the shields and the bows and the habergens and the rulers were behind all the house of Judah. And so they realized The culture that we live in, the place that we are, we really need, we really need to administrate in such a way that about half of what we do is prayer, is spiritual warfare. It's it's holding the swords and the spears and doing spiritual warfare against the enemy. And the building of the house, the building of the wall... What makes that possible is the protection that's created by those of us who engage in the spiritual warfare, or in this case, the natural. The reason they could build is because half of them could protect while they were building. They which builded on the wall, and they that bore burdens with those that laid it, every one with one of his hands wrought in the work, and with the other hand held a weapon. And so even the people, and every one of us, even if we feel like we're called to evangelism, if we feel like we're called to uh, just, you know, workplace ministry, at the same time, we have to hang on to our weapon, and we have to be interested in the protection, not only of our lives, but the lives of our brethren. Okay. Uh. Verse 18, for the builders, everyone had his sword girded by his side and so builded. And he that sounded the trumpet was by me. And I said unto the nobles and to the rulers and to the rest of the people. The work is great and large, and we are separated upon the wall, one far from the other. In what place, therefore, you hear the sound of the trumpet resort thither unto us. Our God shall fight for us. I don't know if any of you all are Civil War buffs um, or even, you know, war history. But before radios and before um, modern technology, when it was horses and swords and bows, the signals went out through a trumpet. And what Joshua is saying here is, all right, so you can know where the battle's the worst. I'm going to have a trumpet blower. And wherever the trumpet blows, we need to all come and get effort in that place. There's so many things that have to be in place for that to happen. But one of the things that has to be in place is, is people have to be agreed to drop what they're doing to come and give themselves to the thing at hand. And to get a people of God ready to do that, one of the things you have to do is you have to have a wall built between you In the culture, over these years, as we've planted churches, one of the things I found out: the thing that keeps people from participating when the need is there is the culture. They've built a life that makes themselves so busy that they can't get away when there is a need uh, among the people of God. And so, at least that has to be in place to follow the same principle of warfare. We have to all be able to be called to the same place. That's kind of nice that we're having our called fast next week, <laughs> uh, and and I, I certainly am not going through these principles to get to this to make everybody come. But um, we have a, a a Wednesday fast. A lot of people think they can't do it because of the way their life is organized. It's not true. You can reorganize your life to do it. Um, there are times when, like, uh, what was amazing was this past weekend or this past week Uh, somebody died uh, somebody's father died from work and the call went out hey we as a church these people don't have a church they don't have um, uh, even a means to do this so church we need to provide this funeral for this person in our community it was so beautiful to be here to see all the people of God show up and give themselves uh, beginning to end and, and provide uh, for it. It started with an email from Michelle uh, and it ended with, I think, probably Mike at the end making sure everything was swept up. I don't know. He was here when I left. He, who, who, uh, well, it, it was everybody. Everybody responded and, and gave themselves and, and that's part of what has to happen if we're going to build a wall if there is a need, then everybody does have to respond and not have so many things in your life uh, that you can't give yourself. All right. Um, verse 22. Likewise, at the same time, said I unto the people, let everyone with his servant lodge within Jerusalem, that in the night they may be guard to us and labor on the day. So again... Remember, there was a victory, but then it got more intense. And so as it got more intense, what are they doing? These last two things, it's pretty interesting. Uh, Everybody, don't go home. Just stay in Jerusalem. Stay here. And secondly, don't even take time to change clothes. Leave your clothes on and stay here. I take them off and wash them every now and then. I think it says... Yeah, only, the only reason they took it off was to, to, uh, to wash their clothes. And so I think the thing that's really played out here at the end is you will have a victory in your life, but then it will get more intense. And when it does, you've got to become more deliberate. You've got to be more committed, and you've got to decide, I am going to win this battle because Sandballot wants to wear you down. He wants you to give up. But God has already given us the the victory. You know, Nehemiah said, don't be afraid. Don't be intimidated. Continue in the battle. And so God is comfort. God wants to come to you in your personal distress or your corporate distress, and he wants to bring you comfort. But how does he do it? He strengthens you to do battle. He strengthens you to rise up and to build a wall between Satan's attack, the infiltration of the culture, and your own brokenness. But you've got to give yourself to all three of this. Resist the devil and he'll flee from you. Uh, love not the world. Consider yourselves dead to sin. You can go throughout the Bible. Now, remember in the beginning I, I said that um, everything plays to Jesus? I want to read, I want to close with a chapter. And I think I know this church well enough that uh, you probably ought to get it without me talking a lot. So I'm going to read this chapter to you, and then I would like you to I would like you to contemplate the eternal connections in the Word of God. All right. So turn to the Book of Revelation, chapter 20 the book of Revelation, chapter 20. Hey, Chelsea, you want to read this? Yeah, have we got that other microphone? Nope, we got this one, though. I'll give you this one. Yeah, come up here and read it.
1: And I saw an angel come down from heaven, having the key of the bottomless pit and a great... Do you want me to read it out of that version?
0: No.
1: I mean, it's all the same, I think. Um, Having the key of the bottomless pit and a great chain in his hand, and he laid hold on the dragon, that old serpent, which is the devil, and Satan, and bound him up a thousand years, and cast him into the bottomless pit, and shut him up, and set a seal upon him, that he should deceive the nations no more, till the thousand years should be fulfilled... And after that, he must be loosed a little season. And I saw the thrones, and they sat upon them, and judgment was given unto them. And I saw the souls of them that were beheaded for the witness of Jesus and for the word of God, and which had not worshipped the beast, neither his image, neither had received his mark upon their foreheads or in their hands, and they lived and reigned with Christ a thousand years. But the rest of the dead lived not again until the thousand years were finished." This is the first resurrection blessed and holy is he that hath part in the first resurrection on such the second death hath no power but they shall be priests of god and of christ and shall reign with him a thousand years and when the thousand years are expired satan shall be loosed out of his prison and shall go out to deceive the nations which are in the four quarters of the earth gog and magog to serve them or to gather them together to battle the number of whom is as the sand of the sea. And they went up on the breadth of the earth, encompassed the camp of the saints about and the beloved city. And fire came down from God out of heaven and devoured them. And the devil that deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone, where the beast and the false prophet are, and shall be tormented day and night forever and ever. And I saw a great white throne and him that sat upon it, from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away this is the second death. And whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. And
0: we have gone down to verse
1: 7. Okay. And I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth were, were, earth were passed away, and there was no more sea. And I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a great voice out of heaven saying, And he said unto me, It is done. I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give unto him that is a thirst of the fountain of the water of life freely. He that overcometh shall inherit all things, and I will be his God, and he shall be my son.
0: So just like Nehemiah had a battle in his day, it moved us closer to Christ. Now, because Christ has come, we are in the same battle. It's all moving ultimately until the city of God comes down. The tabernacle is among us. And so we're engaged in this, this, uh, this historical fight. You as an individual, you can't be fearful. You can't be frustrated. You can't give in. When the battle changes and it rages, you've got to give yourself to the battle. So this morning what I'd like you to think about is one of two things. Maybe you personally need to build a wall around your house. Maybe maybe the culture or uh, the devil or just your own stupidity has worked against you. And you decide that you're going to intensify the battle and say, you yeah, know, I'm going to quit. I'm going to quit just cruising through, I am going to defeat this thing. But secondly, as a church, I think we're at a unique place, a great time for us, and and I think we need to intensify. I'm glad we're coming right into the fast next week. I think we need to really pray and uh, to realize Satan's mad that we're here. (laughs) And he would like to see us close up shop and go home. Uh, But we're not going to do it. We're not just going to close up shop and quit trying to reach this county. Uh, God has called us here. And, uh, you know, we don't know what context it's going to be, but God planted us here uh, to make a difference. So on, on the terms of the church as well, uh, where you need to intensify, be sure that uh, you allow God to give you direction there. So just out of curiosity, uh, who here has, like, personal walls that you need to build you know that that there's there's, there's challenges yeah Uh, okay good how many of y'all have sensed the need for more intense uh warfare on behalf of the church those things going. yeah great good so hallelujah uh i wrote them out so you could keep them and put them on your refrigerator and just come back and cultivate those principles in your life over these next few weeks and hopefully they'll become part of your life to to see uh, where the need is and and to respond in ways anybody have anything you want to share before we close with the song